When you look up in the sky tonight, you will see the nearly full moon, a bright light in the darkness. We call it full moon, and I said it is nearly full. But again, that is just an afterflavor of having spent most of the day in a thinking world, in a world that relies on measurements and comparison. Full moon is quite enough. Not nearly full, almost full, recently full, just the full moon. We come together here to sit and to let our thinking mind rest. Let it not be in the center of our conscious being. Let it not be the tyrant of everything that is going on in our lives and in our present. The very interesting thing that we see that in this world where we depend for our survival in society on being well suited to use that discriminating mind, even in this world we now see that people look for ways to relieve their over-dependence on that. Mindfulness comes as a word to many of us when we think about that. Relaxation, the relaxation response. That was written about by Herbert Benson right here in this area. Mindfulness and attentiveness and attention are qualities that are really important and that are, as I said, qualities, not techniques necessarily. Please don't mistake my mentioning this as a put-down of these ways to approach how people can alleviate their suffering, at least temporarily. If it helps, it is wonderful. But looking at it from the Buddhist point of view, we have to be clear that we have to be careful that what used to be a deep contemplative way of looking at our own existence is not just uprooted and being used in a way of a technique that in the end does not connect to the root anymore. It's almost like medication. We've become accustomed to take some kind of medication if this or that hurts. And maybe, as I said, we could become accustomed to do this or that meditation if we feel this or that way. But the inquiry that the Buddha undertook when he sat under the tree was of quite a different nature, much more urgent. It seems to be that there is very little understanding how big this urgency has to be to actually awaken to actually open one's eyes from that deluded state of illusions that we spend most of our days in. The urgency must be intense. It is stress at times that could provide that urgency. And Buddhist insight and Buddhist introspection 
the looking at what is was certainly not meant to just temporarily relieve the symptoms. If stress is seen as a symptom, then it can be treated that way from the point of view of sickness and health. But during Zen practice and during other practices that look deeply at what it means to be a human being and that has that urgency behind it to come to a resolution of the question that drives us, it's not a symptom that has to be treated. Often that is the very energy that helps us to move very deeply and to get over obstacles. Today somebody reminded me of the term headspace. And initially my first reaction to that was that, of course, what we could call it in the Buddhist context, that space we want to create is not headspace, it is truly heart space. We cannot treat just our head. The image is very fitting. Our brain resides inside the skull. It is the control center of the body. It is what often dictates what we take as reality. However, without a heart, that control mechanism is worthless. We can create space in the head and free ourselves a little bit from that monkey mind that takes up so much time. We can let the day fall off and leave behind everything that seems like a burden. But that is just the point of entrance into being able to delve into creating the heart space. Often Zen practice is seen as something that is very strict, that is very austere, even ascetic at times. When you read about the old masters who cut off their students' fingers, hack cats into two, break jugs and hit their students, it seems like a very rough way of going about it. But after all, as we spend time in this practice and as we get to know these methods and as we also learn that it is much less likely to be hit nowadays, we find out that it is not something cold, disciplinarian, controlling that stands behind that, but that it is actually that space that we have to create in our hearts that allows these masters to use expressions like that. Expressions of directly pointing to what is, to model and to demonstrate, to manifest, as Joshu Doshi would have said, what all of this is about. Some of us are interested in learning about the descriptions of it, 
the personal expressions of the philosophical, metaphysical way of what this is about. And that's perfectly okay, as long as it does not just fill up that headspace and as long as it does not keep us just on that cognitive, abstract level. When things get real, be sure to know that it is felt and experienced with your heart, with your kokoro. Finding the right balance is the quest of learning how to live the life of Zen practice. How do we learn when it is necessary to think? How do we learn to clearly know and manifest when there is no need for discriminatory thinking, for cognition? How do we know how much of this heart space and the head space are necessary to be fully there when our action is demanded? In Zazen, at times we might think about it, but it is equally important and probably much harder for us human beings who have well-functioning cognitive abilities to just be and feel, to just open up to that what is with our intuition, with our heart, and to exist for that time in the world of intuition. Chokkan no sekai. And over time, over the years of practice, it will become our nature as much as the cognitive nature that we already have made our own. The integration of what we would call complementary ways of being that are not mutually exclusive is one of the things that we learn in the long and arduous way of Zen. Let me close with reminding you and myself of the urgency that we have to see in this investigation. May it be the urgency driven by realizing that our lifetime here is limited. May it be an urgency that is caused by our own discomfort, by our own dis-ease, by our own personal life, whatever it may be. Instead of rejecting and pressing against that urgency, instead of thinking of it as a symptom, we learn to embrace it as one of the driving forces that helps us get over this initially unsurmountable obstacle in our practice. That what we fear the most becomes our friend, becomes our guide, and in the end helps us to find ourselves both in the headspace and in the heart space.